Scripture reading this evening will come from Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Be seated. We continue our sermon series through Revelation, up to Revelation chapter 14. The man had started his own business, and in a few years he had outgrown his tiny warehouse. He had located a much nicer, much bigger warehouse, not too far from his uh, original site. He leased it and it was troublesome, it was burdensome, but he finally made it and was able to move into the new warehouse. He received an arrangement of flowers. He looked at that arrangement and thought, well, one of his friends had, had sent him an arrangement to uh, celebrate his new warehouse. But when he looked at the card, he didn't recognize the name on the card, and the message puzzled him. The message said... Much sorrow in your time of loss. Well, he decided he would call the floor shop and find out what this meant. He called the shop and immediately when the, the shopkeeper knew who he was talking to, he said, Sir, I am so, so sorry. We sent you the arrangement that was supposed to go to a funeral. So that's the reason why you don't recognize the name and the message was kind of strange. The man said, well, I understand, you know, mistakes happen. The florist said, well, I'm so glad that you understand because the folks down at the funeral home didn't really understand very well. They got an arrangement that said, best wishes in your new location. You know, that would be a great card for the funeral of a believer. When we as believers die, we move from a cramped, difficult situation to a much larger and nicer quarters. The move itself may be burdensome. Life can be full of troubles. But the new location, the new location is out of this world. John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus talking, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Even if we go through a lot of pain in this life, and life can be painful, even if we go through some tribulation, and there will be some tribulation and troubles, it will be worth it all when we get to glory. In Revelation 14, we see a group of believers who will go through more pain, more tribulation than any of us will ever experience in this life. But on the other end, they will stand. They will stand victorious with Jesus himself and sing his praises. Look at that passage that Thomas just read. Now, it mentions 144,000. 
144,000 here. That's the same number of believers that were sealed in Revelation chapter 7. That number represents the saved, the ones who have conquered death, the ones who have lived victorious for Jesus, the ones that will inherit heaven. Now Satan, Satan does everything he can do to make their lives miserable. Go back to chapter 13. Chapter 13 is scary, okay? It is. Chapter 13, uh, you know, it re is revealed that the devil has two helpers. He's got that land beast, that's the, the civil, that's the military power of Rome personified in the emperor himself. And that's going to come down hard on the Christians. And they're going to make life miserable for the Christians. But beyond that, we've got that sea beast, which represents false religion. You see, it wasn't just attacks from the, from the emperor, from the civil and from the military part of Rome. It was the underpinning, the corruption that was bringing forth on the church by the fake and false religion. Chapter 13 is a major downer. I mean, if Revelation ended at the end of chapter 13, you'd have to say, John, you missed your calling because you're trying to encourage Christians, you're trying to help Christians, and chapter 13 is no way to end your book. But then he comes out with chapter 14. Chapter 14 is a, is a wonderful chapter if you are a Christian because chapter 14 is going to be the victory. Hey, we like to win, don't we? Chapter 14 is all about winning as a Christian. We who know and obey Jesus will stand victorious with Him no matter what happens to us on this earth. Think about the Olympics and the victors, you know, stand on the victory platforms, you know, and, and they awarded their prizes. We will stand on the victory platform with the Lord Himself as our older brother. I ran across an actual note from a cancer patient. You know, the world looks at cancer as one of those horrible diseases. And it is. If you've had a loved one go through cancer, you know it's horrible. And the world looks at it and it's terrible. That is true. But here is exactly what a cancer patient wrote. And it was distributed at his funeral. He wrote, cancer is so limited. It cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot eat away peace. It cannot destroy confidence. It cannot kill friendship. Cancer cannot shut out memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot invade the soul. It cannot reduce eternal life. It cannot quench the spirit. It cannot lessen the power of the resurrection. 
Oh, did I mention that cancer patient was a Christian? A very faithful Christian? Don't you love his attitude? And that's true, you know. And just like with chapter 13, there, the devil's going to throw a lot of things against us. He did back in the first century. He still does it today. But he's going to lose. In fact, just paint a big fat L on the devil because he's a loser in all ways. Romans 8. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the book of Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Rhetorical questions here. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or, or, or nakedness or peril or sword? Oh no. Yet in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are victors. Hey, I like to win. How about you? We who are of the redeemed of the Lord, we are the believers in Jesus Christ. We will stand victorious with Jesus in glory. And we will sing with joy before the throne. We'll not just sing like the songs that Billy's been leading us tonight. At a distance, we'll be up close at the throne. And we'll be there with Him, and we can sing those songs to our Lord face to face. Isn't that encouraging? Verse 2, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000. Notice, only the 144,000 could learn that song. I'll explain why in just a moment. The 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Don't you love to sing? Doesn't singing encourage you? I remember one particular day, I had two people having surgery. Now, tomorrow, Lynn's going to have surgery, and we're praying for Lynn. On this particular day, one of my members was having surgery, early surgery, and then one of my members' great-grandfather was having surgery. He was in his 90s. Well, I went first to the first surgery. It was in a separate hospital, a different hospital. And once they got into surgery, I left that hospital and traveled to the other hospital across town. As I got off the, on the elevator on the floor where I knew the patient was going to be, the moment I stepped off the elevator, I could hear it. Singing. Church songs. Now, I need to mention to you that this man, this wonderful man, a wonderful Christian, he had been a song leader for almost 80 years in the church. He started when he was a little boy. And he had taught the love of singing to his family. And he told his family, on the day of my surgery, as I get ready to go to surgery, we're not going to be crying, we're not going to be boo-hooing, we're going to be singing songs of praise to God. And I don't want any sad songs. I just want those, those he, call, he called them toe tappers, you know, toe
toe tappers. And they were singing their hearts out. You could hear it all the way down that hall. That family was singing. And that man said, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this surgery. The surgery was required for life, but there was no guarantee that he would make it. He did make it, by the way. But he said, if I don't make it, I'm ready to be singing to my Lord in the hereafter. Victory. There was a little girl born in Korea after the war. Her mother was Korean. Her father, her biological father, was an American GI. Of course, the American GI came back home. She was abandoned to a... a an orphanage there in Korea. It was not very well kept. It was underfunded. It was a very, very terrible place. The little girl wasn't accepted by Korean culture. She was a mixed race. It was very apparent she was a mixed race. And they were rejecting her. She received the worst treatment of all the children at that orphanage. They got word that an American couple was coming over and they were planning to adopt one little boy. So that little girl, she was helping all the boys, you know, get cleaned up and look their best and get their hair combed and everything looked really nice. And when the couple arrived, she was watching, you know, she was watching. And it was very apparent that that couple, with tears going down their cheeks. They would have loved to adopted every child in that orphanage. But unfortunately, money-wise, they could only adopt one. And then at that time, that man, the husband, turned and saw that little girl. I want to read to you the words from her. She said, He saw me out of the corner of his eye. Now let me tell you, I was nine years old, but I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me and he began rattling away something in English. Uh, I didn't know what he was saying. And I looked up at him. Then he took his huge hand and laid it on my face. What was he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This is a child for me. That is our story, spiritually. We were wasting away in sin. We're eaten up by the worms of self-indulgence. We were full of scars. But our Heavenly Father came along and laid His hand on our face and said, I, I want this child. This child is for me. Then He paid a high price to rescue us from our sins. He let His only Son suffer and die on a cross to pay the price of our redemption. Now we belong to Him. We who have put our trust in Jesus. We are loved. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. No angel in heaven has ever had that experience. The experience of needing redemption and the experience of receiving redemption. No angel in heaven knows what it's like to be redeemed. No angel in heaven knows what it's like to be trapped by sin and then set free. That's the reason the only ones who can sing that song is 144,000. Because we know what it's like to be saved from our sins. We who have trusted and obeyed Jesus we have been redeemed. That means we will stand with Jesus in glory and we will sing with joy a new song of redemption. All because, guess what folks? You're special to God. We are set apart to Him, belonging to Jesus Christ and uniquely His. Notice the first part of verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, what, what is he talking about there? Morally pure. Our sins have been washed away. Morally pure. We have been set free from sin. And on the positive side, look at the middle part of verse 4. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They obey Jesus, they imitate Him. You see, to be redeemed means to be set free from sin so that you can serve the Savior, so you can live for Him. We have a higher calling in life. We are redeemed. Look at the end of verse 4. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits, first fruits to God and to the Lamb. We are special. Do you realize how special you are to God? We are the first fruits to God and to the Lamb, verse 4 says. Growing up on a farm, we always had plenty of land, okay? We had more land than we knew what to do with. So me and Mom, we, um, if you've never been on a farm, you don't know what a truck patch is. A truck patch is a, a garden away from your home, away from your house. So we had a big truck patch of watermelons. We had about six acres of watermelons. Why in the world would you grow six acres of watermelons? You can't eat six acres of watermelons. Well, uh, well maybe I could, but actually I did it. We raised those melons for the community. Anyone who wanted a melon could come by and pick their melon. That's what they were there for. But there was one rule. You didn't get the first fruits. I got the first fruits. I would always pick out the, about a dozen of the biggest melons, and I'd have them kind of specified for me, and I'd put a little, a little sign on that melon. This melon belongs to Michael. And folks knew not to pick that melon because that belonged to Michael. 
And boy, when that melon got ready and ripe, boy, I would pick them and I'd take them back to the house and, and I would put them in the well house. So that way they would get kind of cool. And then I would start eating those melons. And oh, I tell you what, Clayton, the best tasting melons you've ever had. Oh, those were good. They were the first ones, the best ones. But also at that uh, watermelon patch, there was a little disappointment. Because after you had harvested the first harvest of melons, the, the vines would typically put on a, another crop. And they would start out looking so good. I mean, they would start out looking like they're going to be great melons. They never did develop. Never did. And you might hope you might get a good melon, but it was rare that you ever got a good melon out of that second crop. Here's why I tell that story. That's the world in God's eyes. Most people are like that second crop of melons. They're a big disappointment to Him. But we who have been redeemed, we're like that first fruits, the very best of the crop. To God, sweet and delicious, the very finest in all the world. That's you and me. We are special to God, not because of what we have done, but because of what He has done. We were sinners, enslaved to sin, but God rescued us from our sins. He took us, immoral, disobedient liars, and turned us into pure followers. We the redeemed are special people because God has made us spotless people. He has turned us sinners into saints. Verse 5. And in their mouths was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. We are special to Him. Have you ever been to your child's first musical performance at school, maybe as a kindergarten or maybe a first grade uh, performance, and your child is up there, and, and um, let's go ahead and just admit it, they're singing a little bit out of tune, and they're offbeat, and, and it's not just perfect, but to you it's perfect. To you, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. Why? Because that's your child up on that stage. We are the greatest thing that ever happened to God. He loves us. Are we perfect? Not really. But to God, we are perfect. We are His children. In 1463, the city of Florence commissioned that guy right there to make a statue. It did not go well. He selected a 19-foot piece of marble, and it was not very good. Another guy came along in 1501. He said, I'd like to have a crack at that. Would you let me? The city father said, well, why not? It's just there, and it's, it's taking up space. You try and see what you can do. What he did was this. You recognize that as the David statue. And yes, that's a woman pointing her arm, she's got a blue glove on, at the David statue. It is that big. 
I've seen it. Some of you have seen it. It's huge. It's beautiful. What was the difference between the first guy and Michelangelo? Michelangelo is an artist, a true artist. God is a true artist. God does for those who trust Jesus as their Savior and obeys. He takes ruined lives like a ruined piece of marble and turns them around into trophies of His grace. When we trust Christ as our Savior, when we obey Him, He makes us special in His sight. He gives us a new song to sing. He causes us to stand with Jesus victorious in glory. I urge you, if you haven't already, take your stand with the redeemed. Trust and obey Jesus who died in your place and rose again. Please, before it's too late, take your stand with the redeemed. Otherwise, you will fall with the condemned. You will be condemned for all eternity. That means never ending. Tormented forever in a fiery hell. That's not very pleasant to think about. That's really what the rest of Revelation 14 is all about. In verses 6 through 13, three angels announce judgment. Judgment from God. In verses 14 through 20, these angels carry it out. It's not a pretty sight. It's not a pretty picture. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, where it describes the fate of the redeemed. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is pulled, poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest, no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. That's, there, that's not a lot of fun to think about, is it? Spending eternity with no rest, with no hope, with no chance of all. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Faith should cause you to obey. Faith should cause you to obey. If you don't put your trust and obey Jesus, the Bible says you're condemned already. Your sentence has already been passed. You're on death row awaiting the lake of fire, which the Bible describes as the second death. Now, this is not one of the more comforting concepts in the Bible, but it's the truth. And love demands that we warn people about the truth of rejecting Jesus. Botany Bay in Australia is one of the most beautiful bays in all of the world. It's gorgeous. The water crashing in on the, on the, on the beach there, it just makes for a, uh, just a, a Kodak moment. 
One particular man was visiting a friend who lived in Australia and he wanted to go out and see Botany Bay. And they went out there and the guy said, oh, I just, I, I've, got to, I, I've got to have some fun. I've got to get in that water right now. And the man grabbed him and said, whoa here. I don't want to rain on your parade. I don't want to take away your fun, but you need, us to, you need to notice that sign over there. And he pointed to a sign that said, Shark infested waters beware. The man said, there's been about 200 people die because they, like you, wanted to take a swim and body. Now, Jesus, he's posted a sign. He's warned us about hell. Not because he wants to ruin your fun, but because he wants to save you. The, the choice is yours. You decide. Please decide to take your stand with the redeemed. Other words, you, otherwise you will fall with the condemned. I mentioned in, a while back about the famous David statue. Let's take a peek at his very last statue he ever worked on. He never finished it. It is regarded as somewhat ugly. He stopped working on it and just gave up. Why? Because there's so many impurities in the marble, in the stone, that he just never could get it to look right. And he gave up. And Michelangelo said, you know, sometimes, sometimes the stone just has to be the stone. As an artist, we want it to be art, but sometimes the stone just wants to be stone. Well, folks, the stone wants to be stone. The artist wants to be art. How does that apply? That's the dilemma we all face under our great Creator's hand. He wants to chisel us into the beautiful image of Jesus. And the stone of our lives either submits to the chipping or it resists. If it submits, features of our Savior begins to emerge. A beautiful picture. If, however, it resists and continues to resist, there will come a day when God will let the stone be stone. What's it going to be for you tonight? Are you going to let God have His way in your life? Are you going to keep on resisting until God says to you, okay, have it your way? The first way leads to life and beauty. The second way leads to death and eternal damnation. What do you want to do? Do you want to become a Christian? Believe, repent, confess, be baptized. As a Christian, as a Christian, do you need to seek His forgiveness? He will forgive, 1 John 1, 9. The church here wants to pray with you and for you, James 5, 16. Billy has selected a song to encourage you. Will you please come as we stand and sing for your encouragement? What can wash away?